Thank you for that one clap. <laughs> Appreciate it. Okay, that feels better, too. Well, good morning. How about that worship? Did you feel his presence just come over you? So sweet. Such a sweet uh, release of resting in him and being with him. If I haven't had the privilege to meet you, my name is Heidi, and I serve as the director of Overflow here at Vineyard Northwest. And if, if you were, weren't here last week, or if you missed it, we are in our second annual rest month of June. So during this month, our teaching team is taking a break. We're reducing the amount of activities that we have this month in order to embrace his rhythm of rest. With that, we, we've been going through a series, a teaching series of videos with John Mark Comer. Have you heard of John Mark Comer? Anybody? Yeah, a few of you. He has, he's a pastor up in Oregon and his, he teaches about the practice or the spiritual discipline, if you want, of the Sabbath. And the Sabbath is a 24-hour period where you go through these movements, he calls them, of stopping, so stop all work, of entering into rest, of delight, and worship. So last week, we watched a video on stop. And for this afternoon, we're going to watch one on rest. But before we get to that video, what I want you to do is turn to a neighbor behind you or next to you. And we're just going to check in. Again, last week was about stop. So just check in with your neighbor and ask, did you do it? No shame if you didn't. <laughs> you can be honest. And if you did do it, how did it go for you? So we'll just take a few minutes to go ahead and do that. All right, not to be legalistic, <laughs> but was it really difficult for anybody to stop, to slow down? <laughs> Some of you say, no, this is my rhythm. I think the 1130 service, we know how to rest, <laughs> like sleep in, right? We can do that. Very good. Well, for now, I want you to go ahead and settle in and get comfortable, grab some snacks. We're going to throw up the video, and then I'll be back afterwards to comment on it for a little bit. So enjoy. The spiritual journey begins with desire, wanting to follow Jesus and be transformed into a new kind of person. Desire is like the engine of our life. It's the drive to get out of bed in the morning and live. But when you pay close attention to the inner dynamics of the heart, you realize desire is one of those things that is never, ever satisfied. 
A thousand years before Christ, the writer of Ecclesiastes said, the eye is not satisfied with seeing. A more recent philosopher just said, I can't get no satisfaction. No matter how much we get, it's never enough. Thomas Aquinas, that towering medieval intellectual, once asked the question, what would it take to satisfy human desire? The answer he came up with was everything. We would have to experience everything and everyone and be experienced by everything and everyone to feel satisfied. We would have to be infinite, but we're not, we're finite. So all of us live with chronically unsatisfied desires. The word used by the writers of the Bible to name this inner disquiet of the heart is restlessness. This is an ancient problem rooted in human nature, but it's been manipulated by the culture of consumerism in the West, and in particular by advertising, which is basically an attempt to monetize our restlessness. We see upwards of 4,000 ads per day all of it intentionally designed to leave you and I feeling unsatisfied. And it works. We fall for the old carrot on the stick routine, chasing more money, more clothes, more things, more square feet, more experiences, more stamps on our passport, more relationships, more, 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 but it's never, ever enough. Rest is always just out of reach. In the East, they call this the wheel of suffering, which isn't really a religious idea as much as it's a wise insight into the human condition. The wheel of suffering is craving and aversion. Craving is a chasing after what you desire, what you want. And aversion is a running away from what you don't want, what you fear or whatever is causing you pain. The result of that wheel is suffering because the moment we catch what it is we're chasing, if we catch it, we immediately want 10 new things. And the moment we solve one problem, if we can solve it, it's like a game of whack-a-mole. A new one pops right up to take its place. Is there a way off the hamster wheel of craving and aversion, chasing after our desires and running away from our fears? Or in more biblical language, is there a way to fight against the cancerous restlessness of the human heart and the age to which we belong? Yes, Sabbath. Sabbath is a practice from the way of Jesus by which we war against the restlessness of our age and instead take on the easy yoke of Jesus our rabbi and find rest for our souls. As we said in the previous session, there are four movements to the Sabbath. Stop, rest, delight, and worship. On the docket for this week is rest. If you have your Bible, one more time, turn to Genesis chapter 2 and read with me from verse 2. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested, or he Sabbathed, from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now, when I hear the word rest, I think of sleep, or maybe a little margin, or a day off, or just a few hours to relax. 
But the idea behind this verb Shabbat in Hebrew is far more. It's holistic rest, or what Jesus called rest for your souls, for your whole person. On the Sabbath, we rest from work, all work, not just paid work, not just our jobs, but all work, including our chores and our errands and our to-do lists. We rest from working. But it's actually more than that. Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, in his magisterial book, The Sabbath, says we rest not just from work, but from even thinking about work. Neuroscientists tell us that when we think about work, even if we are at home on the couch, it secretes the same stress chemicals in our brain as if we were at the office or on the job site or in the actual situation. We rest from even the thought of working, but it's still more. We rest from wanting and worrying. We get off the wheel of suffering. I want this, I don't want that. We delight in God and we come to rest. To unpack this idea, let me kind of Bible nerd out on you for just a few more minutes. Turn over to Deuteronomy chapter five. You may or may not know, the 10 commandments are recorded twice in the Torah, the Hebrew word for the books of Moses. The first is in Exodus chapter 20, where Israel is at the foot of Mount Sinai right after leaving Egypt. The second is in Deuteronomy 5 on the edge of the Jordan River, right before Israel is entering the promised land. There are 40 years in between, which means Deuteronomy 5 is to the next generation who were not there, who were unborn or still babies at Mount Sinai. And the Sabbath command is similar, but it's a little bit different. Read with me from Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Now, there are two differences between the Sabbath command in Exodus 20 and in Deuteronomy 5. The first is minor. In Exodus, it's remember the Sabbath, but here in Deuteronomy, it's observe the Sabbath. Remember and observe. The Hebrew word is shamar, and it means to keep watch over or to guard like a sentry. Think of how we observe a holiday or a holy day, such as Christmas or Easter. We guard it, we kind of watch over it to make it special and unique. That's the idea. Sabbath is like a weekly holiday. We are to keep watch over it, lest it become just another ordinary day on the weekend. This is why in the Kiddush, which is the ancient Jewish liturgy that you begin the Sabbath with, you light not one but two candles to symbolize the two commands, remember and observe. That's change number one. The rest of the command is verbatim until the end where there is a major change. In Exodus, it's for in six days, Yahweh made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, he blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. 
But in Deuteronomy, it's remember that you were slaves in Egypt, but the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Same command, but a whole different rationale behind the command. In Exodus, the rationale is grounded in the story of creation, for in six days God created the heavens and the earth. Here in Deuteronomy, it's grounded in the story of liberation. You were, past tense, slaves in Egypt, but you're not slaves anymore. At Sinai, Sabbath is about the rhythm. In Deuteronomy, it's about the resistance. The last session was all about rhythm. This session is all about resistance. Give me a few more minutes to lay it out. In the Exodus story, there's all sorts of language about restlessness. For example, here's a few quotes from Exodus chapter 5. Why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Make the work harder so they keep working. Pharaoh said, lazy, that's what you are, lazy. That's why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. In the story, Pharaoh is a cruel tyrant. No matter how hard the Hebrews work, it was never enough. They lived under the oppressive yoke of the daily quota, more, more, more. And it wasn't just Pharaoh, it was the socioeconomic system of Egypt as a whole. Israel was making bricks to build, quote, supply cities, end quote. Entire cities just to store all of Pharaoh's extra stuff. And it was an economic system built on the back of slavery. To get to the lavish, opulent lifestyle of a pharaoh or an Egypt, you need cheap labor to work while you rest. And slaves don't get a Sabbath, a day of rest. Slaves in an empire like that are subhuman, a commodity to buy and sell. They only have value in what they produce. They work all day, every day until they die. Rest in the story is a byproduct of the salvation and deliverance of God. So the command is to remember you're not a slave anymore. You're in a new kingdom under a new king. You're not in Egypt. There's no daily quota, no taskmaster over your head. And this is key. Remember Deuteronomy 5 was to the next generation. Remember to never become a slave driver yourself. Hence the command about your male and female servants, the foreigner, even your animals. All are equal under the Sabbath. All rest on the seventh day. The theologian A.J. Swoboda calls the Sabbath scheduled social justice. And we need this practice now more than ever before because Pharaoh and Egypt are both alive and well. In the literary design of the Bible, Egypt is an archetype similar to Babylon later on. It was a real historic nation state, an empire, but it's symbolic of all empires down through time and all across the world. And while we are not ancient Hebrews living in Egypt, you're a Kiwi living in Auckland or a Canadian living in Vancouver or an American living in Portland, Oregon, still, we live in a modern-day Egypt in a culture of restlessness, a culture of unchecked desire for more. In the West, we work more than ever before. The Japanese have a word, kuroshi, that literally means death by overwork. 
But we Americans work 137 more hours per year than the Japanese, 260 more hours per year than you Brits, and 499 more hours per year on average than the French. God bless you French. In my home country of the US, we work more than any other nation in the world. Now, as a general rule, this is more true of older generations than younger. In fact, to be honest, many young adults have the opposite problem. For them, it's often not too much work, but too much play. But as a culture, we work or play more than ever before. And we have more than ever before. Conservative estimates say we now spend two to three times more on goods and services than our ancestors did in 1945. Our homes are three times larger and full of twice as many things. The average home in my country, not rich, average, has over 300,000 items in it. Here in the US, we don't have supply cities, but there are 2.3 billion square feet of self-storage space, something like 7.3 square feet for every person in our nation. Meanwhile, many people all around us, hiding in plain sight, possibly some around you right now, are barely able to make rent and put food on the table. But in spite of that, we're unhappier than ever before. Sociologists tell us that the happiness levels in the West hit a peak in the 1950s and have been in a steady decline ever since. Interesting, that's right around when the blue laws in my country and other countries were phased out and the Lord's Day or the Sabbath was secularized into the weekend. To sum up, we work more than ever before, we have more than ever before, and we're still not happy. It's Egypt all over again. And it's so easy to just get sucked into the culture, to feel like you just have to work those extra hours to get ahead, like you have to reach a certain standard of living, you have to own this or that, you have to participate in this or that. It's so easy just to say, well, that's just how it is. But it doesn't have to be this way. Listen carefully. Rest is an act of resistance. It is an act of defiance against Pharaoh and his empire. It is a way of saying with your whole life, enough, enough work. Work is a good thing, but it's not the thing. Enough stuff, stuff isn't bad, but most of us have more than enough. Sabbath rest is a way to break our addiction to the twin gods in the West, accomplishment and accumulation. Later in the Old Testament, there are Sabbath commands against buying or selling, against all commerce on the Sabbath. It's where blue laws came from. In our family, we've chosen to follow this ancient wisdom. On the Sabbath, we don't shop or do anything that would make us want more, like read a magazine or dink around online. We don't even talk about what we want more of. We just be and practice gratitude for what we have, and we enjoy the goodness of God in our actual life. This can be hard to do. We have three teenagers right now that I'm raising and I watch our culture attempt to monetize their restlessness just like it does to me, constantly. But every week, the Sabbath is our line in the sand as a family, enough. My point is, accomplishment and accumulation aren't evil. They can even be good to a limit. At some point, you need a line in the sand to say, this far you shall go and no farther. 
I do not need to work more hours. I do not need to make more money or move up in the company. I do not need a new car. I do not need the perfect grade or the perfect body or the perfect yard or the perfect whatever. I do not need to earn my human father's approval. I already have it from my heavenly father. Sabbath is a weekly reminder. You're not a slave anymore. Pharaoh and his army are at the bottom of the Red Sea. You are free. You have all you need to thrive with God and his world. You are in a new kingdom now with a new king. You are loved just as you are with all of your humanity. You don't have to produce or perform or purchase your way into love. You don't need more things or more experiences or more relationships because you have God. You don't need to hold your life together in fear for your future because God is your good shepherd. Of course, this all sounds beautiful, but my point is, Sabbath rest is an act of resistance. It is a declaration of war on all that is anti-Sabbath and anti-the Lord of the Sabbath, which means when you practice Sabbath, you are going to feel resistance, both external resistance, the culture all around you is a Sabbath-less, rhythm-less, hollow-out-your-soul-and-suck-you-dry culture. To Sabbath well will require intentionality, preparation, and a resolute determination to go against the flow of the cultural tide, to live differently. This is not easy. You are standing against what the Apostle Paul calls the principalities and powers. The theologian Walter Wink defines the powers in Ephesians as both heavenly and earthly, divine and human, spiritual and political, invisible and visible. They are the meta forces that keep us and others, in particular the oppressed, from Sabbath rest. Things like systemic racism, sexism, greed, political corruption, all these forces are animated by dark spiritual powers that are anti-Sabbath and anti-God. Through the practice of Sabbath, we defy these powers and align ourselves with the God of Sabbath, of rest, we resist. But there's also internal resistance. Egypt isn't just around us, it's in us. To Sabbath, to come to rest, we have to resist the internal dynamics of restlessness in our own fallen heart, greed, envy, jealousy, discontentment, anxiety, a controlling spirit, addiction. With all of the practices, and frankly, with God himself, we feel what Ruth Haley Barton calls the push-pull dynamic. There's a tug of war in our chest. We feel a pull toward Jesus and his way. We, we feel a genuine desire to be with him and find rest for our soul. But we also feel a bit of a push away from Jesus and his way, a resistance in us or a reluctance to give up our own autonomy and self-will and surrender to him. In the practice of Sabbath, you will feel this push-pull dynamic at work in your own body. But Sabbath rest is your secret weapon in the war against the powers and the principalities of our age. It's an entire day where you say, I have enough and I am enough. In those push-pull moments, when you have to resist both external forces and internal forces that are anti-Sabbath, Remember, you're not a slave anymore. You're free. God is king.
but he's nothing like Pharaoh. He is a Sabbath-keeping, Sabbath-commanding God. Jesus called himself the Lord of the Sabbath, and he's offering you rest for your souls. The question is, will you take that rest and will you resist? What do you think? So good. A couple of challenges in there and a couple of invitations into rest. Going through the John Mark Comer's book over the last year, our team took about a whole year to get through it because we were slowing down and entering that rest. There are a few nuggets in watching this video. This will be the third or fourth time watching it. One thing that stood out is with him talking about having more, we work more, we have more, we even play more. And so as an occupational therapist, one of our, the things that we like to promote is a balance between work, rest, and play. But I found it interesting that even though some of us play hard, that's still not enough. We still need more, and we're still the un most unhappiest we've been in a couple of decades as a whole. But I think the key here is about the rest. How are we resting? Are we entering into his presence like we did with worship this morning? The other thing that I found really interesting and striking, and I shared with this earlier, is that I never realized like the difference between the command in Exodus and Deuteronomy. Did you guys catch that, what that difference was? A difference between remembering the Sabbath in Exodus. So that relates to the rhythms, taking the time like you have this morning to, to set aside and come and be with, with God in his presence with other believers as a community. That's a rhythm of remembering. But then in Deuteronomy, he's talking more about observing, shamar is the word that he used. And so observing requires, what did he say, intentionality and planning and then a resolute determination to guard it. And that's resistance. That's saying, I am enough. I have enough. And it's only because my father cares for me and loves me. He's my provider. He's the one that I can trust. He's the one who protects. He's always working in the background. So there are a couple of invitations to do this. And I want to share just a little bit of a personal journey along this Shabbat, Sabbath, taking a rest. One is a conquering or a victory, I guess you would say, in the rhythm. So I've pretty much established a rhythm in the mornings to go on a run with Jesus, listen to his word, have his truths flow over me. And it was a, a pastor, a Di Lehman from, from Champaign, Illinois, in a talk that she gave here that she was saying how she would meditate on his word, a passage, while she was doing laps in the pool. And I thought, oh, you can, like, 
be with him. That's a way of having quiet time. I thought you had to just sit <laughs> and be quiet. And so I incorporated that into my runs daily. Now, there's no perfectionism here. There are times that I've missed, but I do guard that time. If I miss a day, I'm sure to make it up. This morning, I didn't do it. I will go home and do it after this. I'm going to guard that time. So I've gotten into that rhythm. But the fail that I realized how important that rhythm is, is we had this overflow conference uh, last month or in April. And my husband had scheduled a trip the week before. And I thought, there's no way I can go on a trip right before this conference. There's too much to do. I've got to be present. I have to be able to answer questions. There's a lot of planning and preparation. And it all comes to a head that week before. And then it dawned on me, going through this book, we need to operate from a place of rest in him. It's his conference. It's his team putting it together that he's going to work through. He's going to meet the women and the da his daughters that are coming to the conference, not me. And so I was able to release that. And that was an in internal resistance that I was able to release. The mindset that I had to be there, that I had to control it. Some kind of a pride in that. So I was able to release the want and the worry that came with it until the external resistance came. And you know what that was? It was an overseas trip and I couldn't find my passport the week before we were to go. So you can imagine all that rose up in me. The worry, the anxiety, I'm going to let my husband down. The kids are really looking forward to this trip. And so I spent a day or two flipping over the 300,000 things in my junk drawers and closets and worrying. And what are we going to do if I can't find this? And then I said, enough. I said, I'm not doing this. If I'm supposed to be going on this trip, I'll find my passport. I'm okay staying. My kids and my husband can go. I'm actually okay with that. I'd like to go. And so if I'm supposed to go, we'll find it. It was Friday, Good Friday, and I thought, one last ditch effort to find it. I'm going to go to the BMV and see if it was left there. I was so sure it was at home because... Six months prior, we had gone to Israel, and I came home, so I had my passport. Surely it was in the house, but I had to renew my license at the BMV, so maybe it was there. So I went there on Good Friday. Sure enough, it was there. So lots of relief, but I felt like the lost had been found. Do you guys remember the first time that you met Jesus and how exciting that was? It's, it's been a while for me, to, but... I turned around and I went to this room full of like people at the BNB at four o'clock in the afternoon. I was like, this is a miracle. Did you guys see this? I, I lost this and they just found it. And they just looked at me and some were looking away, embarrassed for this lady that's going crazy. And I said, no, this is like a moment. It's Easter. Like the loss has been found. Have any of you lost anything? And they're still looking. <laughs> and nobody was responding, but there were two gentlemen in the front. And I said, you, I'm like, have you lost anything recently or something been stolen from you? And he's like, no, ma'am. And the other guy, I'm like, well, you know, can I just pray blessing over you for a lot? No. I was like, okay. <laughs> so I didn't win anything there, but left. And I was really still excited that I had my passport. A fail in my rhythms was a day or two before the conference. And 
I woke up and there were 75 text messages on my phone, which instantly my heart rate went up and I thought, wow, this is gonna take a lot of time. I better get on it. And this is about 5.30 in the morning. So I started just composing answers and responses. I wasn't gonna send any to break anybody else's rest up. And by 9 a.m., roughly three and a half, four hours into it, I'm feeling very anxious about a lot of things. And my husband was home and he said, have you gone on your run yet? The kids and my husband know that's my time, my quiet time. I said, no, I haven't. He's like, drop your phone and go on your run right now. Okay, I knew I needed it. So I dropped the phone. I drove to where I run. I have bad knees, so I have to run on those flat parts. So I drove to where I could run. And I was getting out of my car and I had a phone call regarding one of the texts. And I'm like, I need to take this. I have to do this. And a lack of judgment before I had time with my Heavenly Father, who takes care of everything, I answered the phone. And as we got into the discussion, I got more and more worked up. And now I'm trying to run because I'm going to get my run in. But I'm talking on the phone trying to solve this instead of spending time with my Father who would solve it in a healthy, loving way. And I became somebody that I didn't want. (laughs) And I had to go and repent after that and ask for forgiveness. So that just highlighted how important that time really is to me to keep that rhythm and to be with him first as much as, as, much as I can. So failure there. But victory, we're, we're a family who strives. We don't strive. <laughs> we rest in his presence, right? But we, we don't work for perfection. It's progress. And so we don't want to get legalistic about any of this, of rest, but enter into it with intentionality and planning and a resolute determination to make it happen. In Israel, the Jews, they'll they'll have a day of planning ahead to prep for that. It's hard to stop work. If you're a mom, you need to feed your kids that day. You need to do all these different, there are demands on you that have to happen. But you prep ahead of time so that you can make that space to do it. So as a church, we had a goal, as we discussed earlier. Each week we have a goal, and then we have some reach exercises. So we're going to go ahead and pull up the goal for this week of rest that we'd like to invite you into. And I think there's something powerful in uniting when we all enter into something together. When we're all saying no to this world, no to the pressures, the demands, that as his children, we are enough. And it's like what John Mark Homer was talking about, drawing that line in the sand. So figuring out where that line in the sand is that you're going to draw. So the goal for this week is to set aside one hour to spend quality one-on-one time with Jesus. So there are a million ways to do this, to facilitate this time, and we recommend prayer and scripture as cornerstones to your time with him. You definitely wanna be speaking his truth and his promises over your life during that time and resting in those. Then read a chapter from a gospel and taking some time to journal your thoughts to God. Again, there there are a million ways to do this, The point is just that you are setting the time aside. So that's that intentionality to focus on him. And then for the overzealous people who are in the room, we have reach exercises, so kind of the objectives to get to that goal. 
And these are to choose two to three activities that are restful to you and plan to do them on a chosen Sabbath day. Set aside one hour of uninterrupted rest on your Sabbath day. Try to be on your own with no kids, no husband, and no people you know. No screens, no chores, etc. So just really getting that alone time with God and resting in it. And how you rest is going to look very different than how I rest. I know my husband is a creative, and when he gets out in the woods to build something or is creating something, no matter what the, the media is, medium is, he is in a place of rest. It's taking his mind off of work, right? Because they were saying even if you have, if your mind is still on work or what you need to do, your to-do list, then it it pretty much equates to just being at the office or just doing that chore and not so restful. So let's all stand, and I'd like to invite the prayer group up. Our prayer team come forward. And I just really feel this service, he really highlighted the intentionality, the planning, and the resolute determination to guard it. And so wherever you are in your journey of, of taking a step into this rhythm of, of stopping, resting, delighting in worship, I feel like if you haven't been intentional about it, maybe that's what the Holy Spirit is inviting you into right now is, is to be more intentional about getting that rhythm and, and then observing it. Maybe you're real intentional about it, but without the planning ahead of time, it kind of falls apart. This world will definitely suck you in. And so if you aren't intentional and don't do the planning ahead of time, then it kind of falls apart. So maybe he's, maybe the Holy Spirit is giving you some new strategies and new insight. Or maybe you've, you've been intentional, you've done the planning, but things come up and you're not guarding it as strongly as he's asking you to. So Holy Spirit, thank you that you have the answers for each of us. Thank you that you walk with us. You're beside us in all of this, that you're not here to condemn or judge where we are. You're inviting us into this rest. Thank you for the gift of resting with you. Thank you that we don't have to do it alone, that it's not up to us as individuals to make things happen. I ask for you just to fall on each person right now and breathe new rhythms of life and rest in their days. Thank you, Lord, that darkness is defeated, that there's freedom or the liberation, the victory, that perfect love casts out all fear when we rest in the light of your presence. Right now, I just release grace on the prayer team to drop words of knowledge, to flow in the gifts of healing and prophetic words so they can minister to those who come forward and bring a little more of heaven into their lives.
Thank you, Father. We can't wait to be in your presence this week. In Jesus' powerful name, amen. And I think we all need to just lift our hands and say, resist. <laughs> resist. And the other one, say, rest. So we're going to resist and rest as you go this week. Take care and have a great afternoon.